start our service today with some recognition for our veterans, uh, those obviously that are in the house and uh, those who will watch us. We're getting ready to go live, so as we go live, those who watch us around the globe and around the country, we welcome all of you this morning that we just went live, and uh, we're going to recognize our veterans. I want to say uh, I'm going to introduce one of our veterans here in a moment. He's going to come and share with us, but two things in life, just things that happen in life that really remind us of, the, of Christianity and its power, two things that I've always uh, seen in the world, things that we do that remind us of the power of Christianity. One is uh, adoption. People who are willing to take somebody that don't belong to them and bring them into their family and be responsible for them. I mean, that's the power of Christianity right there. The Lord has adopted us. And the second one is military service. Somebody who will lay down their life for other people and be willing to even die. How many over the years, if you've read any history or have family members, how many young men at the age of 18, 19, 20 uh, never got to live their life because they went across the seas somewhere in the military service and laid their life down for what they believed in, for us, for what, who we are and this country. So uh, I want to introduce to you our uh, Brigadier General Howard P. Hunt III. And I just got a few of his awards here. I couldn't list them all or I wouldn't have got to preach this morning. <laughs> so uh, he, is, uh, he has been awarded the Legion of Merit, the Bronze Star Medal, uh, the Meritorious Service Medal, Army Commendation Medal, Air Force Commendation Medal, Air Force Achievement Medal, Air Force Outstanding Unit Award, National Defense Service Medal, Global War on Terrorism Service Medal, Air and Space Campaign Medal, Humanitarian Service Medal. This guy's right here with us today, our uh, Brigadier General Howard Hunt. Will you come? Thank you very much. I, I'm, I'm deeply honored. I'm honored uh, that, that Matthew, who is my pastor for April and I, and have been for the last couple of years, uh, we've not had an opportunity to meet everybody that's here today because we sit kind of in the back. We, we sit in the back. and um, But we love this church, and I'm going to speak to you today about some things from my heart because I spent almost 35 years in the military service and traveled around the world to 45 countries and seen things that you can only picture in National Geographic and experience life at, at, in its fullest. But that's what the military does. I have such a love for each of you veterans, and uh, Matthew's going to recognize you when I get done, or I would do it right now and ask you to stand, but I'm not going to do that because he has a special time for you uh, at the end of my remarks. You know, the act of donning the uniform has been deeply symbolic over the years. But it shows that individual who's done that to make a selfless commitment to the idea we call America. You know, each branch of service, the Marine Corps, the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, 
Coast Guard and now Space Force each have a, a list of core values. And being in the Air Force, it uh, we have a simple list. I haven't memorized the Army's or the Marine Corps, but you know when somebody from the Marine Corps says Semper Fi, that's a that's a greeting of honor because it means always faithful, faithful to defend this country, faithful to do what it takes to keep your liberties and freedoms free. In the Air Force, our core values are really simple. We have three. I think the Army has seven or eight. I don't have them memorized. But the Air Force core values are important. And uh, the reason they're important to me is because that's how I operated for nearly 35 years. That was my driving motivations and those core values. And they're very, to me, they're very biblical. Think about this from the perspective of being a good Christian. Integrity first. Excellence in all I do. And the last one, which is, is across the board with all branches of service, service before self. The people that you know that have been veterans and are currently serving today have are ordinary men and women who defend this, have defended this nation for over 200 years. And they do it at great sacrifice and without regard to the hardship that they endure during their service. Every veteran that has served, whether they have gone to war or not, provide this country with the essential elements and opportunity of freedom and liberty. But they also, they also have written their names on that blank check, if necessary, to give their life for your freedoms and liberties. There's, a, there's some memes, I think is how you refer to it, going around saying there's only two defining sources of, of people in, in history that have signed on are willing to give their life for you, and that's Jesus Christ and our veterans. We can now add first responders and those others. By undertaking this duty of sacrifice, others may never know we, we support those who we may disagree with, and veterans have taken the idea that this nation has turned it into a reality of a free nation. You know, we rec recognize veterans one day a year. I wish we could do it every day of the year. And I was talking with Matthew before we came out, and I didn't realize it in World War II when people came back from the Pacific, like I think it was your grandfather. Is that right, Matthew? He said in San Francisco in World War II, coming back from the Pacific, he was spit on. That happened a lot with our Vietnam vets coming back, and that was a very dark day in America. They were treated like fourth and fifth class citizens called baby killers. 
They were doing their job that this country asked them to do. And every time I see a Vietnam vet, and I know they're, they served in Vietnam in country, I always say, welcome home. Because they never got that. Defending against violence and the threat of violence is something that the veterans have no illusion about. You can't wish the problem away. You can't blame the problem away. It takes men and women who are strong and committed to make that human difference and that dimension transcends technology. It takes boots on the ground. There's certain, I don't want to speak too long because I could talk for, like Matthew for hours about a passion of my heart, which are veterans. But I'm going to share some interesting stats with you because us veterans are headed down the path of extinction. And we don't realize it because we don't see it. Out of sight, out of mind. In World War II, there were 16 million veterans service members in uniform. 16 million. With the country, you had a population of 140 million people. 11% of everybody you saw walking down the street was in uniform. Right now, out of that 16 million, we have 100,000 of the greatest generation left in this country dying at a rapid rate. By the year 2031, there will be no more World War II vets. The reason I say that we're on the path to extinction, extinction, I'm not saying that correctly, is that we need new people in the military all the time. Right now, none of our branches are meeting, that I'm aware of, are meeting their recruiting quotas. Let me go back just a step. When I said there were 16 million in, in, in World War II, and now we have a country the size of about 336 million. And I'd give somebody a, I'd buy somebody a Coke if they can tell me what population our military is right now. But to keep you from guessing too much, I'm going to surprise you with the fact that out of 336 million people in this country today, roughly, we have roughly 2 million active duty guard and reserve, which is 0.0060% of your population are in military uniform. Technology is taking away that heart of the boots on the ground. The dinosaur aspect of our service is coming at a rapid rate. And this is probably something you don't want to hear. And you don't think about. But, you know, Matthew is the last few Sundays and, and now is, is preaching on things that might be considered end-time prophetic activity. Think about this as it ties to that, to that 
learning. Right now in this country, our military is, is not meeting their recruiting goals because 78% of 17 to 24-year-olds are ineligible for military service because of academics, drug use, and physical fitness. Of that 22% that would qualify, only 1%, 1% is willing to talk to a recruiter about military service. People say, well, that means we're going to have to have a draft. Ladies and gentlemen, draft won't work. Can't bring that 78% into the military and expect to have an effective fighting force. You couple that with some known, and I can say this because I'm no longer a member of the Department of Defense and, and governed by UCMJ, University military justice and you've heard other vets from Iraq and Afghanistan say this on TV sometimes and you watch certain networks as far as I'm concerned our Department of Defense is a, a bit woke and broke because they're teaching in our service academies our cadets and our airmen critical race theory transgenderism, and are supplying with military members the opportunity to travel at no cost to them to have an abortion somewhere in this country, which Senator Turbeyfield is trying to hold up promotions up because he disagrees with those policies that our Department of Defense has. When the chairman of the Joint Chiefs says, I want to learn more about white rage, because I don't understand it, and they teach DEI to service members throughout training. We're going the wrong direction. Okay. You know, <clears throat> freedom began as an idea. And on this Veterans Day, after two centuries, men and women who have donned that uniform through their service to give us the freedoms and the liberties that we have have transformed the idea into a reality that history's greatest triumph is now the United States of America. I hope when you see a veteran, and it means a whole lot, and I received it today, a simple thank you goes a long, long way. And it's important because you think about this as I get ready to step aside. Where would you be without our veterans and military service members in the past? Where would you be? I don't think you would enjoy life as much as we do right now. I wrote a tribute a few years ago, and I'm going to go through it real quick. 
Veterans have done what others will not do. They have served others before themselves. They have gone where others would not go. They save liberty from the grasp of tyrants. They share a unique bond through life's experiences. They faced adversity with the resolve to overcome. They have done all they could to keep our nation free. The uniforms of our veterans formed the patriotic fabric of our nation. The veterans walked through history has been freedom's best friend. Veterans are the pulse of America's greatness. God bless our veterans. Thank you. If you're a veteran, I'd like for you to come up front here. If you've served in any capacity in the military or the National Guard, anything, come on up front. <clears throat> the realities of war are in our face even today, aren't they? I mean, we're watching uh, the atrocities and how bad war can be in the Middle East right now in Ukraine. We're kind of pushed away from it, but with the media the way it is today, we can see that in our own houses and homes, people who are losing their lives. Some of the things that happen in Israel, they're not showing there's such an atrocity and the hatred for God's chosen people. But war is going to be a part of our lives going forward. There's no escaping that. The Bible is very clear about that. Prophetically, we're going to see more of that. Wars and rumors of wars. These guys were preserved... But many of them weren't. There'll be people lose their lives. As we're seeing, there are people losing their lives. So for somebody to be willing to join the military and do what our Brigadier General just said, they've signed that blank check saying, if need be, I'll lay my life down. And of course, we know where that leads us. Jesus Christ. He said to us, no greater love has any man than to lay his life down for his friends. So if you would, let's stand. And I would like for you, we're going to play a video in honor of our veterans to thank them. As this video's playing, I'd just like for you to pass by here and shake these people's hands that's up here, guys, men and women, and thank them. And then you make your way back to your seat. Let's give our veterans a hand. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Just go ahead and stay on your feet. Now we're ready to, we're so thankful for uh, the Lord and all he's done. We're thankful for our veterans, but we are mostly thankful for what Jesus Christ done on the cross. Amen. Amen. So we want to give him praise this morning. It says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? 
And that's what they are saying right now, some of these Gentiles that don't know Jesus. But they're not going to be saying that long. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, that's all of us, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. That's our God. The God of the Jews and the Gentiles through the work of Jesus Christ. The greatest veteran that ever walked. Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him some praise this morning. That's true. The Lord is in charge. We just read that. Amen. The Bible says he sits in heaven. The Lord sits in the heavens and does whatever he pleases. Now that may not make everybody happy, but he does what's right. His justice is pure and righteous. The Lord's going to start showing himself. He's going to start showing himself on behalf of Israel. And I think we're going to see God start showing himself more on behalf of the church. And the world is going to know, if they don't already, many of them know it, they just turn a deaf ear to it, that the Lord is in charge. And hopefully, amen. Hopefully, many more people will come to Christ and be able to say what we say. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise one more time. Amen. Children's Church is dismissed. We have two nurseries across the, uh, the viaduct there, and, or the tunnel, whatever you want to call it. And the rest of you may be seated. I want to show you a few verses on the screen as we get ready to go in. As I, I want to uh, tell you this real quickly. Steve Ferguson, who was one of the lead singers for a season for the Imperials, will be here on December the 3rd. And he will be doing our worship time and, and doing some ministry. He's also been a pastor a lot of years, so he will be here with us on December the 3rd. Uh, many of you remember that group, the Imperials. He was... Uh, He's got a fantastic voice, but he's a good guy and knows the word, so he's going to sh uh, share with us on the 3rd of December. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10 is the first verse I want to show you on the screen. It says, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse, and, uh, speaking of coming through the line of Abraham, as we've talked about, who shall stand as a banner to the people. And here's the good news for all of us. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Now, as God begins to judge the world, and I think we're going to start seeing him start standing up for Israel, which is bad news for their enemies. But as he does that, we're also going to see God start bringing people in. Because when trouble hits, sometimes people take another look at things, right? I've seen that. I've been doing this for 30-some years, and I've seen that. Trouble hits somebody's life. A lot of times they'll start looking to God. They'll start calling on the name of Jesus. So we're going to see that. 
And we're going to see that leading all the way into the tribulation period. Let's look at the next verse. Malachi chapter 1 verse 11 says, For from the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations. So one, uh, says the Lord of hosts, one way or the other, People are going to know that God is in charge, whether they serve Him or give their lives to Him and honor Him or not. They're still going to know who's in charge. Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. Another verse I want to show you. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. So what happened is God raised up Israel through a man called Abram, who later was known as Abraham. His line became known as the Jews and the Israelites. He was himself a Chaldean. God separated him from that group of people, brought him out of a very prosperous neighborhood, sent him into wandering, and he trusted God, and he built his altars and pitched his tents. That's a lesson to all of us. We should put more stock, more time, more energy in our spiritual journey than we do our natural life. We should, too, build our altars and pitch our tents. So our most important journey is the journey of faith that you and I are on. Our most important life is our spiritual life. Everything should come after that. And Abraham is an example of that. As I told you last week, it's a very affluent community, many with indoor lavatories and with large houses built out of stone, with all kinds of things that they lived, a very luxurious life where Abraham came from. But Abraham turned his back on all of that and followed the Lord. And the Bible teaches us that he pitched his tent and built his altars. That's the problem with the country we live in. Most people in this country pitch their altars and build their tents. They put more effort, more money, more energy into their natural life than they do their spiritual life. And we should find ourselves and make that switch to where we understand what the Bible's trying to get across to us there. In Luke chapter 2, I want to spend some time here in a few verses. Let's pick up with verse 25. I want to point out something in here that's very important. In Luke chapter 2 verse 25, it says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was a just and devout, he was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. So as I've taught many, this is all, the Holy Spirit was here before the day of Pentecost. Those people who say the Holy Spirit wasn't here until Pentecost don't read their Bibles. The Holy Spirit came in a different dispensation on Pentecost, and we're thankful for that. But the Holy Spirit's always here. He was here before creation. Let us make man, which is Elohim, the plural form of God in Genesis 1. He says he was, uh, he, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a word, right? What a wonderful word to get. Now, uh, Sister Pam, who's in our congregation here, uh, she uh, had a dream about the Lord's return. She's the, actually, I got another person between when she told me that on Friday. 11 people in the last two months. In the circles I run in, many in this group here, 
uh, have had visions or dreams that the Lord is coming back. That's the most I've ever seen in that short a time. And we know that we're living in the last days. What a word to get that you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. What a word for all of us. What, think about this. What about we could all be alive when Jesus comes back? Wouldn't that be awesome? Amen. And then he says, he's uh, waiting on the Lord. The Lord told him, said, you're not going to die until you see the Christ. So he came by the Spirit. He came, this guy's really heavily involved in the Holy Spirit uh, before the day of Pentecost. He said, he, so he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when his parents brought in the child Jesus, Yeshua, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, here's what he said. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He's getting ready to die now because he's waiting for this according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, your Yeshua. When Moses was on the Red Sea, that's the very word he used. He used the name of Jesus in the Old Testament when he told the Israelites, stand still and see the Yeshua of the Lord. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We are, the salvation is more than a concept. It's more than a covenant. It is a person. Everything we have in this new covenant has come our way, not because somebody negotiated a deal, not because somebody had more money to make sure something happened, but this new covenant promises and benefits came about because of a person. His name is Yeshua because Jesus Christ, uh, like many of those we talked about earlier today as veterans and many who passed away, Jesus Christ came to die. He came to die in our place to hang on that cross to take away my sins and your sins. We have hope without a question mark according to the New Testament. The Greek word elpis or elpizo is hope without a question mark. We don't use that kind of word in our language. Every time we use the word hope in English, it has a question mark with it. We say, I hope it don't rain today because I have a picnic or I hope this don't happen. But we don't have the assurance that those things will not happen or will happen based on our traditional understanding of the English word hope. But in the New Testament, when that hope, the word hope is used, it has no question mark because, not because of the word, but because of who the hope is in. The fact that it is in Jesus Christ means there's no question mark. If I put my life in him, I will rise from the dead if I die before he comes. I will go up to meet him in the air. I will have heaven as my home. I do have all of my sins washed away. I do have the hope without a question mark that all the promises in Christ are yes and amen to the glory of God the Father. So I don't live in the word hope in our terms. I live beyond that because of who the hope is in. My hope is built on Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Nothing less than that. And because of what He done, if I place my life in Him, and I have done that, and many of you, maybe all of you have done that, that are here this morning, I hope that's the case, then I have the assurance. 
I don't have the kind of English hope we talk about that something might happen or I hope it'll come true. I have the assurance that he has went before me to prepare a place for me. And where he's went, I will go there too. And I will live under him and with him throughout eternity. I'm going to a place where I'm not going to feel pain again. I'm going to a place where I'm not going to ever die. I'm going to a place where there's only righteousness around and no sin evermore is going to be gone. I'm going to a place where there's no need of a son because Jesus will light the place up himself. I'm going to a place where there's no more death and no more dying. I promise you that. I promise you that. And if you have put your confidence and trust in Jesus Christ, you will do the same. It says he's been revealed to him by the Spirit. He's waiting, so his consolation has come. He said, Lord, you're letting us go. And here's what he says in verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation, your Yeshua, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. All peoples all peoples Titus says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men on the day of Pentecost all nations were represented that day to hear the gospel every person I don't know how God does it I don't know how God does a lot of things in fact if you've been keeping up with the study on Wednesday night in the book of Job he says a few things to Job right where are you at when the goats out there in the maternity ward do you know where the springs are that feed the ocean? He keeps bringing stuff up. There's a lot of things I don't know. But I do know this because God's word is true. I know that he has brought the grace that brings salvation to all men. I don't care what island they live on. I don't care what language they speak. I don't care what culture they're raised up in. God loves everybody. It's not his will that any would perish, but he is there to offer the world the true hope, which is his son. Most people. Now, I'm going to remind you, some of you heard me tell this before, but one of the first few times I was on the reservation in South Dakota where the Lakota Indians are at, Pine Ridge, which has been running for the last countless years as the poorest county in the United States. Over 89% unemployment on that reservation. Alcohol is rampant. Drug abuse is rampant. All kinds of things go on out there. Child abuse. 16-year-old girls trying to raise their four, five, six, seven, eight-year-old brothers. Many people will begin, beginning here in the next few weeks, will freeze to death on that reservation because they'll run out of ways to provide heat. And several people every year die of freezing to death on that reservation. When Sturgis happens a few hours away, they will sweep through that reservation and round up young boys and girls and take them up to that motorcycle rally and farm them out. If you go to Pine Ridge Reservation and having been out of the country and other inner city places in our own country... That is the darkest place that I feel like I've ever been personally. It just feels so desolate. And one of the first few times I was there, I was getting ready to preach. We were having an outdoor meeting. The worship was going on. I was worshiping. I was praying, trying to get in tune with the Holy Spirit. And I was watching these young children just running free and doing whatever. And as I began to look at them, 
I began to have this thought. I started, I said, how do they have a chance? That's what I began to think. I began to think, how do these children have a chance living in such poverty with no direction? Alcoholism is rampant. Drug abuse is rampant. Uh, children trying to raise themselves, rampant. There's a mafia there on that reservation. It's just horrendous. Thinking about, and I was thinking about all that. And as I was thinking that and I was praying, the Lord spoke my name. Now, when the Lord talks to me, I know because he, he does two things. He uses words I don't use. And he uses a lot fewer words to get his point across. I've understood that across my life. And I heard him call my name when I was praying and standing there uh, during that worship time. And he said, Matthew. And he asked me a question. He said, do you think I've not been faithful here? Because I was feeling, I was feeling that, right? I was feeling, how does that, and you, could, you can be out there, and I know this sounds, some of you may have grew up this way a long time ago, but uh, uh, horses and things just roaming free, right? And you, you can watch a 10 or 12-year-old boy, a horse come through, no saddle, no nothing, just jump on the horse and start riding. Down the street. We fixed the softball field one year. Totally re renovated it for this community. That's one of the poorest communities in the poorest county. Maybe the poorest community in the poorest county. Went back the next year. It's totally destroyed. And so the Lord said to me, Matthew, do you think I've not been faithful here? That's a mouthful. Because I'm, I'm put on the spot, right? I'm like, I can't tell the Lord. I felt like the two parents in John chapter 9, right? They said, they said how'd your son get healed? They knew, they knew how he got healed. They said, we don't know. They was afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue, remember? And they said, uh, you'll have to ask our son. He's old enough to tell you. We don't. They didn't want to talk, right? That's how I felt that day. I'm like, I don't want to say nothing. What am I going to say? The Lord said, do you think I've not been faithful here? Now, don't you think about that for a minute. Any situation you can think of in this country, around the world, in your family, at your school, in, uh, in your community, in your situation, I want you to ask yourself that question. You got wayward children. You got somebody you want to see saved. You got somebody who's going through cancer. You got a horrible situation over here, over there. I want you to ask yourself that question. Do you think God's not been faithful in any of that? I've carried that with me ever since. Can God be indicted? The answer to that question we know, right? Is no. When he spoke that to me, I broke. I began to weep one of those times where it was uncontrollable. I had my head in my hands. I fell down on the ground. I couldn't stand up. I had my face in the dirt. 
And I remember saying this to the Lord. I just felt it. It was one of those moments when he spoke and I had nothing to say. And you see that in the scripture. Some of you have experienced that. It ain't ain't like God's telling you to shut up, but you just ain't got nothing to say. And when I raised up from the dirt and my hands and my face, and I said, no, Lord, you've been faithful. Men have rejected you. That's the problem. I'm going to tell you right now, nobody's going to be in hell that ain't supposed to be there. They're not going to let one slip through thinking, well, let's go get him out there. We, we should have kept him up here. That's where I rest. I rest in the fact that it's not God's will that any would perish. I rest in the fact that His grace that brings salvation has appeared to all, all, all men. I rest in the fact that God is righteous and true and cannot do any wrong. Therefore, when I stand over a casket, sometimes my own family member or somebody I've known dearly, sometimes people I do not know personally, but when I stand over that casket, I know that they will be judged fairly. They will be judged according to truth and righteousness that God cannot do wrong. So the answer to that question for all of us, God's been faithful, I'm going to say it, in Russia. God's been faithful in South Dakota on Pine Ridge Reservation. God's been faithful in Kentucky. God's been faithful in the inner city of Philadelphia. God's been faithful in Detroit and Miami and New York and Chicago and Los Angeles and Manila. God's been faithful in the middle of Europe. God's been faithful in South America. God's been faithful in Australia. He's been faithful in Antarctica and the Arctic Circle. God's been faithful in Greenland and Iceland. God's been faithful in China and Japan and Taiwan. What's the problem? Men reject him. Jesus said that men love light or love darkness more than they love light. We live in a world where God has been plenty faithful. The Bible, this is a good thing. The Bible says God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. You know that farmer that loves God? He gets rain. And you know that farmer that curses God? He gets rain. Because God is long-suffering and patient and full of mercy. He causes that. God's been faithful on Pine Ridge Reservation. Men and women have just rejected him. God's been faithful. I know. Let me tell you something. I know there's a movement. And we have some, we do some of that with the food chain, the food line we're in and stuff of that in the satellite. But I know there's a movement because of the poverty from the area where I come at. I grew up. And Brenda grew up. And some others in here grew up. In the mountains. There's a push because there's poverty there. But can I tell you something? In the 70s, 
those people made more money than anybody else in the state. Would you be surprised to tell if I told you that in the 70s, some of those coal miners were making sixty and $70,000 a year? Let me tell you what happened where I grew up. They got caught up in the money and the stuff it could buy, and they turned away from God. That's the heart of man. It doesn't matter. I said, you give a guy from the Kentucky $1,000, he feels like a guy on Wall Street with a million. In fact, the guy from Kentucky will get a wallet and put a chain on it and <laughs> chain it to his belt loop. <laughs> right. So, do you understand? I understand that. There is poverty where I'm from. There's poverty here in Danville. There's poverty. If you go read the statistics, Pine Ridge is at the top. But if you read the top 20 counties that are in poverty, about eight or nine of them are in the state of Kentucky every year. But I can tell you the coal mine that most of my family grew up in, the guy who owned it was a great guy. He come from Alabama. He was involved in oil. And in the 70s, he started a coal company called Mountain Drive. And before he was done, it was one of the largest employers in the state of Kentucky. It was in the holler that I grew up in. He was paying those guys $12, $14, $15 an hour in the 70s. And most coal miners got all the overtime they wanted at time and a half. You do the math. You know what he told them? He gave them coal bonuses back then because they were doing so well and coal was hit the top of its rung back in those days. And you know what he told all those men? He said, someday this mines will mine out. It'll be over. He said, I want you to take these coal bonuses that you get every month, five and $600 in the 70s. Think about that. These coal miners going home every month with a five and six hundred dollar check for coal bonuses. He gave them good instruction. He cared about the people. And he said, I want you to take these coal bonuses, guys, and I want you to put them up, act like you never received them, invest them, and when this mines is done, every one of you all will be fine. Good instruction. But like most of them, they didn't honor God with their money, they didn't do the right thing, things they were asked to do. And now poverty. So what I'm getting back to is God blessed that country. He gave every family in that area where I grew up a chance to get out of poverty. And very few of them did. And it starts with honoring God. It starts with honoring God. That's what's wrong with America now. We've come to a place to where we do not honor God. I'm going to close here in just a minute. Let me make a point or two here. He says, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Nobody, listen, nobody should feel excluded. God has brought salvation to every people group. God's been good to every people group. It don't take a rocket scientist, of which I'm not, but it don't take a rocket scientist to start looking around our country and see how God set each section of the country up to be prosperous. From hardwood in Wisconsin and some cheese, <laughs> from coal mining and logging, to industries, to farming, to technology, God has said every facet. There are resources in some of these places that 
If they didn't worship false gods, they would be a blessed people. I'll leave you with this thought. Another time I was on this same reservation, I walked into a meeting that I was invited to. And when I walked into the meeting, the Holy Spirit spoke through a lady there, spoke to me. She spoke something to me. She had no way of knowing, which let me confirm to me that I was supposed to be where I was sitting. When I sat around this table with these folks in this particular meeting, I said to the lady that prophesied when I walked through the door, I said to her, I said, why do you think that this land is so dark and desolate? She said, I'll give you two reasons why this reservation is dark and desolate. We worship false gods. And you read about what happens to people who worship false gods. Actually, Psalm said they'll be turned into the grave, into hell. Sheol, I think, is the word there. Said we worship false gods. I couldn't believe what I was going to hear next. She said the reasons we live in poverty and trouble and shame is because we worship false gods and do not help Israel. I about fell out of my chair. I mean, I knew that. I knew you bless Abraham, you get, but I thought, as dark as that reservation, you see where I'm going with this? As dark as that reservation is, and as Ill, I'm going to be honest, as illiterate, uh, I mean, they're back in the days way back. I mean, they're back in the 1800s in some ways. For me to hear that, I thought, oh my goodness. You understand that? That's what I was thinking. I was thinking to myself, and then it hit me. My God is faithful everywhere. Let's stand to our feet. You can come to the I, I, I'm, a, I'm giving you a short sermon. I, everybody, everybody owes me five bucks when you leave it. <laughs> five, ten, fifteen. <laughs> I should do well this morning. <laughs> do you understand how faithful God is? Would you have ever thunk it? Can I use that word? I was blown away that she understood that. That I was in a, on a, in a place where God is hardly even recognized much less promoted for somebody to say, here's why we're in this shape. We worship false gods and we will not help Israel. Can you be that real with yourself? Can you look in the mirror and say, my family's struggling because I don't honor God or I'm doing this or that or I'm not engaged in that. What a reality check for any of us. That's why I say take inventory. Sometimes your situation is as simple as repenting. And repenting is what? Repenting is going this direction and turning and going the other one. It's really that simple. Somebody said, you don't have to cry like somebody else. In fact, Jesus gave us the clear meaning of, of repentance, didn't he? He said a man had two sons. And he said to both sons, he said, you need to go work in the field today. One said, I'll go. And he didn't go. The other one said, I'm not going. And it turns about that he wound up going, right? Who, who's living right? The one that said no at the beginning, but he realized, hey, I need to get back in the field. And he turned and he did the right thing. That's the, that's the reality of repentance is when I turn and go back and embrace 
whatever it is he's asked me to embrace or I turn away from that which he's telling me he don't, he's not pleased with. That's repentance. It's not just saying a few words. It's the action. How many, how many words do I use around here that are verbs, right? The Bible is filled with verbs because it's action. It's not just a mental thought or crying a few tears somewhere. It's about saying, I'm changing directions. I'm going that way. That's repentance. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for our veterans. I'm so thankful for them, Lord. Some are in my own family. And we're thankful, Lord, for the willingness they've had. It's a, it is, in the natural, it is a very eye-opening event to realize how deteriorated our military is. But we don't, as Christians, we don't trust in chariots and horses. More than that, Lord, we're thankful for you. You are the way, the truth, and life. You laid your life down for us. So, God, I ask this morning, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that does not know you, that's never surrendered their life to you, that today would be their day. Maybe they're sitting in this building. Maybe they're watching us somewhere in our country or around this world. Maybe they're going to get this podcast this week. Whatever, wherever they are, whoever they are, may they surrender. Lord, and prodigals, I have a burden in my heart, Lord, for prodigals. I believe there are many prodigals in our own country. People who grew up in the church. People who were in the church for a season and turned and began to live their own lives. And now they're stuck out there with the pigs. I'm asking you, Lord, to get inside of their heart and turn it. Break them to where that desire to follow you and love you just springs back up into their life. If you're lost, you're a prodigal, whatever. If you need prayer, if you need prayer for a physical condition or a relationship, come, we'll pray with you. Whatever you need as we open this altar in Christ's name.